I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 116 in which I do a mystery quilt and I am recording this episode on Friday, January 25th <laughs> is my best guess as to what the actual date is. Um, I am having to go back to my old microphone. For some reason my computer and my good microphone just stopped talking to each other. Um, it actually happened a few weeks ago and I keep forgetting that it happened a few weeks ago until I sit down to record a podcast, at which time I don't have enough time to mess around with it. So I'm using my headset, which is a fine microphone. I just don't like it as well because the microphone sits right next to my mouth, so you hear every little mouth noise possible. I don't have a pop filter or anything like that on it, like I do on my good mic. Plus, this headset is starting to get old enough that the ear pieces start creaking periodically, and I suspect that comes through into the recording. So I'm very sorry about all of that, unfortunately. Like I said, if I want to get this episode out this afternoon, I can't mess around with mic issues. I will try to leave myself post-it notes all over my computer to look into my microphone issues sometime this weekend and see if I can't figure out what's going on. In any case, all of that is a very long, mostly irrelevant introduction to this episode. In today's episode, we're going to start out with a very, very, very brief Creative Bites, and then I'm going to give some announcements, and then a little bit of a Sandy update, and then the primary part of this episode will be me talking about doing a mystery quilt, and then some listener comments. So here we go. The Creative Bites for this episode is Try Anything Once. And the reason I'm not going to go into that too much is because that's the actual content of the um, episode. That's why I did the mystery quilt. I'd never done one before. I really wanted to try it. Basically, my premise in quilting anyway is that I am always willing to try anything once. I'm always willing to try a new tool. I'm willing to try a new technique. Um, I'm really willing to try just about anything in the quilty world um, once just to see if it works. You never know when you might find your new quilty best friend. Um, and I think a lot of times we hesitate to try something because we feel like, well, I've got a technique I'm perfectly happy with, which is fine, but you never know whether there might be circumstances in which a different technique might work a little bit better, or new gadgets, new rulers, you know, I'm not always a fan of the one-trick pony kind of rulers, but sometimes they really are the, the best way to get that particular job done quickly and efficiently and accurately, so I'm always willing to give it a shot. Um, and in terms of new, what I consider sort of um, the art quilt world, in terms of surface embellishments or painting or, you know, any sort of fun, creative kinds of things you can do with fabric on fabric to fabric, in spite of fabric, <laughs> I was willing to give it a shot because it's just so much fun. Um, in the rest of my life, I'm less willing to try anything once. I probably should get better. There are some things that are just dangerous that I won't try. And there are some things that I just know will taste nasty that I won't try. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little less brave in the rest of my life. But in terms of quilting, 
for my Creative Bites for the day, I would encourage you to try anything once. Enough said, let's move on. Announcements. Um, Quickly, I am seeking input for my next episode of this podcast, which I'm going to do on um, comparing, contrasting paper or print quilt magazines and quilt books with online quilt magazines and quilt books. And by online, that can mean anything from what you read on your computer to what you read on a Kindle Fire to what you read on any sort of tablet produced by anybody other than Apple and, of course, on the iPad. Um, And I'm looking at both magazines and books because I do think there's there's some differences between those two um, genre, media, whatever you want to call them, that may make some more easily able to be translated into a digital form than others. And I do have some experience myself with this. I've been reading um, some books and magazines online versus in print, and I have some opinions about what I like and what I don't like. Um, And I will certainly be talking about those, but I'd also like to hear your opinion. I did post this question on my Facebook page for Quilting for the Rest of Us and in Big Tent, so please do give your input there. A few people have already seen it and given me some input. Give me your input, let's say, by, well, let's see, I'm out of town next weekend. So you have until Monday, February, what is that, the 4th? Something like that, whatever that Monday is, um, because I will be on a plane coming back from my out-of-town trip that day. Um, So I won't be posting anything podcast-wise until after I get home. So you have until next Monday to give me your response to quote books, reading online versus in print, and... You can, you know, if you've read both, let me know what you like, what you don't like. If you've only ever done print and refused to do online, let me know. If you really prefer to do online versus print, let me know. Um, That kind of thing. That's it. Okay, here we go. This is what everybody's been waiting for. As you know, I had the 2013 Quilty Resolutions giveaway. The deadline was January 15th. I'm sorry, I did extend that to the 16th because in my last podcast episode, I completely lost track of what day it was. Uh, So it was extended until the 16th. I had intended to post a podcast last week with the results. Unfortunately, life got away from me. More about that in my Sandy update. Um, But I am announcing the winners now. Before I announce the winners, and yes, that is plural, and there's a reason for that, because I was contacted by Sarah in Houston, who had a couple of books that she also wanted to offer as prizes in the giveaway. So since she had two winners, and I decided then I would have two winners, so there are four winners altogether. Unfortunately, because life got away from me, I still can't announce what my two winners are actually going to win, but guess what? I'm going shopping tomorrow, so (laughs) I can tell you it'll be of the fabric variety. So here we go. Sarah's number one winner and these were all chosen using random number generator, is Lori Litterdivirdivim. <laughs> I've got to find some way to actually decide how I'm going to pronounce her screen name. Um, I know what it stands for now. I know why it's Litterdivim, but I just like saying that. So anyway, Lori, congratulations. You as winner, winners. And Sarah's other winner is Margaret Kay, who talked about wanting to finish the Dream Rocket quilt. So if you are the Margaret of the Dream Rocket quilt, you are Sarah's other winner. My two winners, I am so pleased to announce, especially after a very long, highly entertaining 
Twitter conversation involving this very person today. My first winner is Daisy of Very Lazy Daisy Podcast. We had a very entertaining conversation, and it resulted in a wonderful cartoon drawn by someone that I've got to try to find a way to print out and put on my wall, because it is just too funny. And if you're not on Twitter, I'm sorry, you missed it. You got to get on Twitter. We have a lot of fun. Um, my second winner is Jody B, as in boy, Jody B. So congratulations to Lori, Margaret, Daisy, and Jody for winning our giveaways. I will be emailing both of my winners, and um, I believe Sarah's going to be in touch with her winners, although I may be in touch with Sarah's winners and then send Sarah the results. Sarah and I haven't worked out that level of detail yet, but we will shortly so that we can get all your winnings off to you. I'm not going to read all of the quilty resolutions. I had so much fun, so much fun reading everybody's resolutions. Unfortunately, I'm not going to take all the time in the episode this time to read everybody's resolutions, but I did want to talk about the guiding word because I really enjoyed hearing what everybody's guiding words were. Um, for 2013. And I've already decided now that I'm done with Easy Street, I am going to do myself a little um, journal quilt with my word of the year on it and hang it right in my um, quilt studio so that I'm reminded of it constantly. So I just wanted to share with you, I'm not going to attach names to these, but these are the guiding words that people are going to live by for their quilting life in 2013. Try faith, relax, momentum, enjoy, organization, enjoyment, purpose, Uh, scrolling, hang on, reach, delightful, enjoyment, do, relax, enjoy, finish, scrolling, Joy, try, commit, enjoy, perseverance, completion, listen, persistence, de-stash, completion, non-traditional, persistence, contemplative, share, create, Scheduled, persevere, productivity, patience, be, focus, so, experiment, balance, enjoy, try, fulfilled, comfort, enjoy, closure, reward, color, comfort, and learning. A whole lot of you feel the need to enjoy or have more enjoyment in your quilting this year, and quite a few of you need to be more persistent or persevere more, and of course a lot of you also did say try. So it was really, I I don't know why, maybe because I am a word person, but I found those really meaningful, so thank you so much for sharing all of those with us. Okay, Sandy update. Why did I disappear off the face of the earth for another 10 days? Um, 
really two things. The the first and the foremost, the biggest issue was, as I had mentioned, my husband's 50th birthday was last weekend, and we had people in from out of town. We had rented a, um, well, we called it a, ho- a cottage, but it was really a house um, in the Finger Lakes, and had um, one, he has one brother that's still in town, but then he's got two other brothers that live in California. One of those brothers came in on Tuesday. The other brother came in on Thursday. So really, kind of from Wednesday on, we had family event after family event. We moved into the cottage itself Thursday. We had stuff going on. Um, moved back out of the cottage Sunday, and one of his brothers went back home, but then the other one didn't leave until Tuesday, so we still had stuff going on Monday. So um, there, there was just a lot going on. And then, as I've talked about before, because of this whole introvert thing that I, you know, embrace as part of who I am, spending several days in a row at a family, one a family event after another, and surrounded cheek to jowl with family, no matter how much time I have, uh, how much fun I have, and, you know, how much I love these people I'm with, it just wears me out. And so by the time I was back at work on Tuesday, actually I ended up taking Tuesday as a sick day because then I came down with a stomach thing on top of all of it. Um which fortunately did not happen until after the last family dinner (laughs) that I got home that night. And I was like, oh, I'm not feeling good. Um, It was not food poisoning. I've had food poisoning. This was not that. It could have simply been exhaustion and a long weekend of a lot of, you know, heavier meals and strange eating schedules and all of that kind of thing. Um, But given how I was feeling, I really think it may have just been a mild bug. They've been going around. Um, And it it just took me a few days to just kind of get my energy back up. So it was this week, um, I was home alone because my daughter then went back to college on Sunday and my husband was out of town this week, most of the week. So I actually had several days. I went from being surrounded by 15 other people for several days on end to suddenly being just me and the dogs in the house. And it was actually really nice. I missed my husband, missed my daughter, although I talked to her multiple times a day. Um, but it was nice to just have that quiet time to kind of regroup. So I am feeling much more human now, um, slightly more on top of things. The other thing that is now going on, though, and I don't know why this always catches me by surprise, you would think I would be ready for it every year, is I do have, um, I guess it's called seasonal affective disorder. Basically, where I live, the part of the country in which I live, we don't really see the sun from November until March. And by the end of January, I'm about ready to rip somebody's head off. <laughs> it just I get very um, down, very irritable, cranky. It's more the irritable, cranky. It's less the sad and more just cranky. Um, these are the days that I'm really glad I work from home because I wouldn't have to want to be in an office dealing with people. You know, it's easy enough to deal with people by email because if I resist the firing off the immediate email and response and just walk away (laughs) and calm down for a few minutes and then I can do a much more rational email later. Um, I still do not own a light box. Every year I think I should own one, but by the time I realize, oh, you know, I should probably own a light box, by then it's already almost February, in which case in my mind it's almost March, in which case I'm going to have the sun back and it just doesn't seem worth the money. So (laughs) at some point I will do that. Um, One thing my husband and I have now talked about is now that we are no longer trapped to the kids' school schedules, that perhaps it would behoove us if we always planned to take some sort of vacation round about the end of January, early February. His birthday, we almost always go away for the weekend, but we usually go away for the weekend somewhere near us. Um, 
and so we're not getting a lot more sun than we would normally but we're we're talking about you know maybe now we can go down the coast even just a couple of states even just southern pennsylvania gets more sun (laughs) than we do here so we wouldn't have to go far so that's something we've talked about doing this year it just didn't work out with everything else we had going on but that's kind of my goal i am not someone who would become a snowbird i don't foresee that Um, i actually love winter i love the snow i love the cold i love looking at my window at it Um, i just you know i would prefer if we had snow and sun (laughs) at the same time and maybe there's places in the world where that combination can happen it doesn't happen here um so i i did have somebody on twitter commented that she couldn't imagine that i actually had this because i was always so upbeat my secret is i do not record podcasts when i'm just in a mood i don't want to inflict that on you so i was in a pretty decent mood this afternoon decided i could probably pull this off (laughs) without sounding too crabby so so hopefully you'll you'll forgive me if some snarky kicks in somewhere um so that's just where, why i've been kind of offline for a little bit but um you know like i said we're getting close to sun again things will start normalizing soon um the the thing that's bringing me joy in my quilty life now other than the intense relief and joy at finishing easy street which i did last night um I am the only other quilting I've actually gotten done recently is my guild is doing a paper piecing block of the month. I think I've talked about this in a previous episode. I don't remember for sure. Uh, we are using one of the Carol Doak books. Hmm. 300 paper piece blocks, I think is the name of it. It's the 300 one, whichever one has 300 in the title. That's the one we're using. One of the women in our guild simply picks out what block we're going to do each month. We all do it. And you can and you just do it for yourself. We're not exchanging blocks. So, um, the parameters are pretty loose she just picks the block we can do them whatever size we want however many we want to do whatever colors we want to do etc and so i'm doing mine the blocks as they are in the book are four inches and so i've decided to stick to that and i'm doing four although i'm i'm leaving that to uh whatever i feel like any given month if there's a block that gets chosen that i think you know what i'd really rather do this as an eight inch single block rather than four four inch blocks did the math work i think that math works um i may do that some i'll keep them all though proportional so that they eventually could all go in the same project but even that i'm keeping loose in my head when i get to the end of the year if i've got a bunch of blocks and would rather do several smaller finishes with them i'll do that if i can put them all in one i'll do that um the parameters i've set up for myself other than this kind of loosey-goosey as long as they all add up to you know being in the same proportion whatever that's called math wise um i am trying to work strictly from scraps as much as possible i can do that easily now when we get to the end of the year we'll see if i can keep doing it because i'm also trying to um I don't know how to say this. I'm not trying to keep in the same color family so much as I am the same intensity, the same saturation level. Um, If that works, kind of, they're sort of brights, but not all brights, but they're all kind of that same feel to them. I have no idea how to explain this. This is where my months and months of doing this, these design series with Jay kind of falls flat because I don't know the term I'm looking for for this. But in any case, right now, I've done two months worth and my four blocks all together work beautifully together um hopefully i'll be able to continue that but that is just a lot of fun i've really enjoyed that i have always liked paper piecing i haven't done any super super complex paper piecing oh and by the way for those in the uk 
when I refer to paper piecing, I mean, I think what you call foundation. This is not by hand. Um, I'm not English paper piecing. What we call English paper piecing is what you do by hand. I'm not doing this by hand. I am a machine girl through and through. So um, I'm doing foundation pe uh, piecing, but my foundation is all paper. Um, and at some point, I'll probably talk more about that too, give you my hints and tips of what I, how I do my paper piecing. Nothing mysterious about it. I basically use the Carol Doak method and all the Carol Doak supplies. <laughs> I really like it. So that ha is what has been bringing me joy. I did just um, sign up for a class I'll be taking in March on fabric dyeing, uh, specifically marbling at an art center near us. A friend of mine and I are taking that together, so I'm looking forward to that, and we'll talk about that more when I get to it. Meanwhile, I am working my way through a few different craftsy classes. Several of them I have found I can really just kind of watch and not necessarily do the projects that are involved with them. I am more trying to learn techniques that I'll put into play on other things I'll do later of my own. Um, that being said, there are some things I am actually working through. So right now I'm kind of collecting supplies for the, the dyeing class with um, Jane Dunewald, I believe. And I think I've now got all the supplies I need. So at some point, now that I'm done with Easy Street again and released into the wild of quilting, <laughs> I'm going to start playing around with some fabric dyeing. I've done a little bit of that before, but I'm looking forward to doing it again, kind of in a more, um, not intense, more focused way, I guess. Maybe that's what, I don't know. I'm losing words. Sorry, cranky. Okay, let me talk about Easy Street. Here's the thing. Okay, so those of you who don't know if you've been under a rock <laughs> for the last three months, because this is pretty much has been an all-consuming thing in my life and certainly several other people's lives as well. Bonnie Hunter of Quiltville.com, she is a world-renowned scrap quilter, um, does mystery quilts every year, and generally they are quite complex. They're They're not... I don't know if I would say they're hard. I think there were some pieces in the last one that she did last year, Orca Bay, that were more complex. Um, but that's most of it is they're, they're complex. There's a lot of pieces involved. And this year she publicized that her mystery quilt she was doing for 2012, well, 2012 into a little bit of 2013, she named it Easy Street because she wanted to take it easy on people and she was going to do something that was simpler than previous years. Well, that just sucked me in because when I hear easy, <laughs> I think easy. Um, and, and actually, it was not hard. There was never a single piece that was hard to put together. It was simply pokey. And I think in my head, I had easy meant relatively fast as well. Um, I have actually wanted to do a mystery quilt for a long time. I've always thought that sounded like a lot of fun to put something together without knowing what the end result, you know, doing a puzzle kind of thing. And um, that did, that just sounded like it would be something fun to do. And this year when this one came along, um, I knew a couple of people who were going to do it, and then I talked to a couple of women in my guild, and actually a bunch of us ended up saying, okay, yeah, we're all going to do this. And that that's really what drew me in, is knowing that I was doing it as part of this kind of larger community. Um, so it, it did sound like a lot of fun to me at the outset. It very quickly just became a burden, but this is only for me. It was not like this for everybody, so I don't want to say this to scare <laughs> 
<laughs> scare anybody away from ever doing a mystery quilt or a Bonnie Hunter mystery quilt. So I'm going to talk through what, how I approached it, what worked well for me, what didn't work well for me, and then kind of what I learned about myself from this, from the process. So I set up some parameters for myself to begin with, and this was part of me challenging myself as well. Certain things that I thought, okay, I'm going to just view this as an experimental thing from the get-go. And so I'm going to experiment through a variety of ways, not only doing the mystery quilt itself and not knowing what the results are going to be, but I set up some... Uh, if, I know we don't like talking about rules, but these were just rules for myself that I wanted to follow. And I know rules, you know, quote unquote, rules are made to be broken. We're really living in a society right now where people hate talking about rules. For me, this was part of my challenge. I wanted to see if I could stick to these rules I was setting up for myself. And that's why I call them parameters, because that's just a friendlier word. Um, so my first parameter was that I was going to stick to the schedule of those weekly posts. And that was only because I knew if I did not do that, I wouldn't ever finish. So even in the midst of it, when I was just grinding my teeth and I knew, you know what, I could walk away from this, do something else for a while, come back to it a few days later, or a few weeks later, finish it in March or June or next August if I wanted to, I knew if I did that, it would never get done. And one of my other parameters was that I was going to actually finish this thing. So I would stick to the schedule. And this year, I knew I was in a particular place to do that because I had well-timed days off planned and that kind of thing. So that was my first parameter, sticking to the schedule. The second parameter was that I was going to choose all my own colors. I was not going to just do her quilt. Now, I loved her colors. I had no problem with her colors. Um, I don't know that I necessarily have a lot of those colors in my stash, but sorry, I'm pulling down blinds. You probably just heard that. Um, but I probably could have come close, but mostly I just wanted to challenge myself in terms of could I choose fabrics without knowing how they were ultimately going to be used. And of course, that's where you can run some risks, but I was willing to take risks. Um, my third parameter was that I was going to choose my fabrics at the start and not ever switch them up once I saw how the blocks were being put together. Um, in other words, I was going to stick with my original choices come hell or high water. <laughs> and again, that can create some issues for you. When you start seeing how this comes together and you start saying, oh, if I had known it was going to be used that way, I would have chosen this other fabric. Well, for me, I had set my parameters from the beginning that I was just going to stick with what I had chosen because I wanted to see how it was going to work. Um, and I know I didn't have to do that. A lot of people didn't do that. That was just something I set up for myself. Um, another parameter I set for myself was that I was only going to work for my stash. I was never going to purchase any f fabric for this until I got to backing or binding, because by then I didn't know if I <laughs> still have any of the fabrics left that I was working with, um, and you know something large enough for backing I don't always have in my stash. So that was I wasn't going to buy anything for the project until I got to backing and binding. And then finally, like I said earlier, I was willing to take risks. I decided that I was going to challenge myself. I was going to push myself, that I was going to do this as a scrappy project. I was not going to just use larger pieces of, you know, coordinating fabrics. I wasn't going to just choose two yards of this fabric and two yards of this fabric and have it all work. I was really going to work with scraps, which is not something... I typically do in quilts. I use a lot of pre-cuts. I've done scrappy quilts that were charm packs or jelly rolls. Technically, those are scrap quilts, but they're not because you're using coordinates. You know, 
I hope you're not taking offense. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. I wanted to do something that was truly scraps from my stash, from my scrap bin, that I was having to figure out what was going to work and what wasn't. And then, as a part of that, is I was really going to push myself and get risky in terms of my scrap choices. So, for example, I the colors I used were, my backgrounds were all fairly light and kind of a creamy, taupey, light taupey tone. And so then I used greens, reds, and purples. So, for the reds, for example, rather than just all using cranberry reds, I had some cranberry reds, I had some fairly bright blue reds, I had some very rusty brown reds. I had for my greens, I had everything from yellow green to sage green to dark green. Um, I didn't have any like really bright chartreuse, but there there was kind of a, a span in there. Um, purples, I didn't have as much variety in because I didn't have as much variety in my stash, but I did have everything from light to dark. I had no idea, and this is where I I struggled the most and where I ended up at the end. Um, when you don't know how something is going to be used, it's hard to know how high contrast to go. I knew that my fabrics as a whole needed to contrast with each other. So, for example, I knew my red, greens, and purples would need to contrast with that background. But in terms of all the reds, I didn't know if I should go super high contrast or if I should keep it all together. The safe thing would have been to keep them all within that same kind of range. But I chose not to be safe. And that was, you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself for that, and that was a great thing to start out with. It did lead to the issues at the end. But, like I said, I really wanted this to be experimental as a whole. I wanted to play with concepts, play with ideas, and look at it as a learning experience. And I had told myself from the outset, set, so what if I hate the ending? And I still feel like that. I've, I know I've whined. Well, I, I don't want to say I've whined. Bonnie Hunter said from the beginning, no whining. I <laughs> said throughout... I'm not whining, I'm gnashing my teeth, and there's a difference. So my frustration with the project is not so much that I don't like the end result, because I knew from the outset there was a good chance I wasn't going to like my end result. I'm okay with that. My frustration came out in other ways, so let me keep talking about that. So those were my parameters, sticking to the schedule, doing my own colors, choosing my fabrics at the start, not switching them up once I saw how the blocks were being put together, challenging myself in terms of using scraps, um, being risky in terms of the choices I was making and working only for my stash. So those were my parameters. So what took me by surprise doing the mystery quilt, again, it was easy in terms of none of those units were hard to put together. None of it was any, wasn't anything I haven't done a gazillion times before. Um, what surprised me was simply the amount of hours involved in each step. Now, that being said, I don't know how some other people do it. There were a few people that shall remain nameless who seemed to me by Twitter and Facebook to have their stinking steps done within a couple of hours of the steps being posted. I would be just sitting down to do mine and all of a sudden these things are popping up all over the place of people who had already had theirs finished. And I'm like, what the hell? Pardon my language. <laughs> how are you doing this? I'm not doing this. I, I finally probably the fourth or fifth week in, and I don't know why I did this, because it really is not a healthy <laughs> healthy thing to do, but I finally went back and kind of added up how many hours was I spending about each week <laughs> on these stinking steps, and I think I averaged somewhere around between six and eight hours per step. Now, I'm not a slow worker. 
In fact, a lot of times I have to slow myself down because I'm, I'm going too quickly. I'm not a particularly slow worker. I wasn't going about this in a very painstaking way. I didn't pin a dang thing until the very end. Never pinned. Um, and I, I chain piece. So I didn't think like I was being particularly pokey. The only thing I can think of is that because I was working primarily from scraps rather than, you know, kind of big units of fabric, it took me a lot longer to do a lot of the cutting. And in fact, there were a couple of units. Once I got like four weeks into this, I started saying bag it and I started just cutting strips rather than worrying about being quite as, as scrappy about it. So I think that's what took me a lot longer. And I think like I know Charlotte from my guild who does scrap quilting, she doesn't sit for eight hours and cut pieces for one unit. She does it over time and she's got you know 20 different quilts going at one time so she's always working on something and always making progress on something but she's switching up what she's doing for me you know I'm working eight hours at a stretch on one stinking step and that's where I started getting really frustrated (laughs) really wiggy now here's the thing in terms of reviewing Bonnie Hunter's mystery quilt and her steps, I want to say I am nothing but positive about the way she goes about it. Essentially, we are her testers for a quilt that she's publishing in an upcoming book. So when you keep that in mind, you know, okay, that means there are going to be some mistakes in there once in a while, and you can have patience with it. Um, Fortunately, yes, there were a couple of places where she'd miscounted the number of units needed. We had to do some extra pieces. We had to cut some to some extra stuff to get the blocks at the end. None of that really bothered me, mostly because for me, by the time I got, you know, two hours after the step had been posted and I'm finally sitting down to do it, somebody else has already finished their dang step and had already discovered, oh, by the way, you have to cut 192 extra of whatever it was. I don't think it was 192. It might have been 20. But anyway, <laughs> um, so by the time I got to those steps, somebody else had already discovered it, posted the correct number. So I was never thrown off. I never had a step in which I got partway through and was like, oh, my word, this isn't going to work. I was very fortunate with that. And that didn't really bother me. Um, her instructions at the very beginning for how to choose fabrics were basically good. Could have been a little more helpful only because I think her basic assumption is you're going to pretty much choose her colors. I, I don't think she would say that, but her instructions were, here's the colors, here's how much you, you need of each color. Well, that's fine, you know, and all I did was said, okay, well, I'm also using a green, so I'll just match my green to her green, and I'm also, I'll am also i match my blue to her purple or whatever. Well, I don't remember how mine worked out, but I, you know, that's how I kind of figured out the amounts. But it would have been a little bit helpful if she could have said something about, you know, you might want to consider going higher contrast here, lower contrast here, whatever, just a little bit of guidance like that. Now, maybe she's done that in past, Um mystery quilts and just kind of assume people that this wasn't the first one they were doing or whatever. It wasn't bad. I'm not saying I was angry at that. It, it just a little bit more help there would have been helpful, not to be redundant. Um, But in any case, that was just, I would have appreciated learning more from her experience as a scrap quilter since I was, you know, just really trying to push myself on this. Still and all, it wasn't bad. And I was able to choose fabrics that by and large did really work well together. Um, she did give yardages at the outset, so she would say, okay, you're going to need X number total for this. And she did say at the outset, I'm telling you, you're going to need more than what you're probably actually going to need just so you don't run short in the middle of it, which I always appreciate. That's how I tend to buy fabrics and choose fabrics for my projects anyway. Um, and indeed, that was pretty much true. I really, um, 
I set aside everything at the beginning. I put it in a bin. That was all I worked out of. And I really did, I have some left over of every fabric, more of some than others. Um, the only quibble I had for her in terms of the fabric choices and her instructions at the get-go about how to, you know, how much of each fabric you needed, is she had established one at the beginning that she said, this is your fabric constant. Um, and then she said the yardage of it was rather significant. I don't remember exactly, but it was rather significant compared to the rest. Um, and that the fabric I chose for that was actually my favorite fabric of the whole bunch because I thought, oh, well, if it's a constant, that means you're going to be seeing it a lot. We used it once. Didn't even come close to using, I mean, not even close. So it was almost as if she was making the quilt as we were going. And she hadn't, I mean, she had the quilt done ahead of time. So that was one piece. I'm I'm not clear where that came from, why she said you're going to need now two yards or whatever it was of this when we only needed a few inches, really, um, when it came down to it. So that was a little disappointing. And because that fabric didn't get used as much, I think it kind of threw off how I was thinking about all my other fabrics to a certain degree. Um, but that was really the only quibble. Everything else worked exactly the way she said it was going to work. Her instructions for each step were always very clear. She used a lot of pictures. There was never a single step um, where I didn't couldn't figure out what I was doing. It was all very upfront, very well described. I did, you know, I really appreciated that. I was able to print it off immediately, sit down, start doing it. Not a problem at all. Um, let's see. There was. I'm kind of looking through my notes that I had made along the way of things that I liked and didn't like. And pretty much, like I said, everything about the way she went about doing this mystery quilt was good. I don't have any problems with that. Um, and her designs are beautiful. I love her finished quilts. They really are. I did have a moment of panic, and this is specifically because you're doing something in steps over a period of weeks. Um when we get to the end and we have to use so many of one unit um, to do these blocks, I only had half, I, I knew how many of those units I had pieced at the beginning and I only had half of them. And in my head I'm thinking, oh my word, I only have half the units I need. Did I not make enough? Did I lose a bag somewhere along the way? Because I had been putting all mine into Ziploc bags. And so I had a couple of hours of like panic. And I'm looking through the, um, my quilt room I'm looking through stuff I'd taken to a sew day did I leave them there you know I'm starting to really kind of worry and then all of a sudden it struck me wait a minute we've already used half of those units for another step so I had the exact number I needed <laughs> that was just one of those you know the moments where I just you know because I'm doing one thing and then three weeks later I'm doing something else you can't keep track of what you're doing so that was my only little real moment of panic and the whole thing everything else went very smoothly um now, finished product. I did finish it last night. I am not putting borders on mine because of the way my fabrics actually worked out. I had one fabric I used. I had one fabric I had a lot of, and I used that in such a way that ended up kind of being all, it frames the entire quilt. It's used for the setting triangles. So it goes all the way around the outside edge of the whole quilt, and I like that effect, so I don't feel the need for borders. Um, and so I stay stitched it because it's all bias edges along the outside edge. I stay stitched the whole thing and I'm just going to have it long arm quilted that way. And yes, I am sending it out to be long armed because I just want this thing done and out of my life. Um, I, I have been fairly vocal on Twitter that I do not like my finished product. And that is not 
Bonnie Hunter's fault. I am not designing her, uh, blaming her. I'm not blaming her process. I'm not, not blaming her design. In fact, I like a, a lot of other people's that I've been seeing. It, it's just a beautiful design. Really nice. It all comes down for me, really, to one fabric. There's one fabric that I used that had I known how it was going to be used, I probably wouldn't have put it in the mix. It's a very, very dark green. It's a mottled green, but it's it's one of these things where it's in a small enough piece. It's a three and a half inch square, so it's small enough that you don't really get the effect of the model. You just it just reads solid dark green, and but it, at the same time that makes it big enough compared to all the other pieces in the quilt that it sticks out like a stinking sore thumb. That's the only thing I see when I look at that quilt is those squares of dark green, and it drives me nuts. Now, did I see that coming by the time I got to the point of putting the blocks in? Yes. Could I have swapped out the fabric for something else? Yes. Did I look at the possibility of swapping out the fabric for something else? Yes. But I said to myself, I said from the get-go I wasn't going to do that, that I was going to stick with my original choices. I'm just going to see how this plays out. And it is true that sometimes just the act of piecing a block together makes it look different. So I was just willing to roll with it. And I did roll with it, unfortunately. <laughs> I didn't like it. I then tried to mitigate it because that um, fabric really only shows up in the block A's, of which there are 16. Then you're making block B's, of which there are 9. When I got to making the block B's, that's where we needed to cut a bunch of extra squares of which mine were green at that point and I I, ran, I had run out of green by then so at this point now I am pulling in additional fabrics from my stash I'm not trading any out I'm just pulling in additional and I decide all right well maybe I can mitigate the effect of that dark green block that I don't like by adding more dark green in that's one way to mitigate the effect of one fabric is to bring in other fabrics that make it less obvious. So I pulled in some other dark greens. It it helped, but didn't fully take away the problem for me. Um, so, you know, again, my parameters were that I wasn't going to go back once I started putting all these blocks together and realized it, no matter what I do, it's just not going to fix that problem. I'm not going to go back and rip out that one piece of fabric everywhere it showed up because one, I had set up my parameters. And secondly, by then I just wanted the stinking thing done and I did not care anymore. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to make this into something I love. I just want it done. It was an experiment. It was an experience. I will finish the quilt. It'll get consigned to a guest room that I never see. I'm good. You know, <laughs> just want to get it done. Now, fortunately, my husband actually does like it. And we have, um, my son's bedroom is now more of a guest room. I mean, it's still my son's bedroom, but he's only in it a few days a year. So we're, we moved the furniture around and my husband now uses my son's room for those few days when he decides he wants to work from home. Um, he and I can't share an office because he's mostly on conference calls and I'm mostly doing stuff where I can't have people talking around me while I'm working on it. So he works now in my son's bedroom. So I said, okay, well, since you like this quilt, it'll go on my son's bed and then you can see it all you want and I don't have to see it at all. <laughs> so that's basically how we're going to use this quilt. Um, and like I said, I am sending it out to be long-armed. And again, that's another step in which sometimes a quilt looks entirely different once it's finished. So I may like it a little bit better once that's done. I'm not holding out a lot of hope. 
did I learn anything about quilting as a whole from doing this? Not really. Everything I don't like about this, I could have told you I wasn't going to like if I'd known what the end product was going to look like. So I didn't really learn anything about that. Um, you know, I did push myself in terms of scraps. Would I do less of that next time? Probably. I'd probably be safer in my choices. I tried to be riskier and the risk didn't play out in this case. So if I were to do a mystery quilt again, I'd probably keep all of my colors much closer together in the value spectrum and just rely on how much they contrast with each other across the board rather than contrast within a color family. Um, that is one thing I probably have learned from this, from this really being my first true scrap quilt. Um, on the other hand, I can't guarantee I would. You know, sometimes those kind of risks do pay off, so I might be willing to take it again. I did use a couple of organizational techniques that I'd really not had the opportunity to do before. For example, when I had to do those 16 blocks, I stacked all of the pieces for the block just on top of each other. So I essentially had 16 blocks laying on top of each other in pieces on the thing, and then I had all of my... um. I have the Fonz and Porter directional arrows, the ones that point lefty or righty or uppy or downy. I use those a lot, by the way. If you don't own them, you might want to get them. Um, I had those pinned around. I have a little, I think it's two feet by three feet or something like that, mini design board. And so I had everything stacked on there and the pins in there. And I just plowed through, boom, 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 did all 16 blocks at once rather than doing a block at a time and then I did the nine blocks I, that meant I didn't get the immediate gratification of seeing a finished block on my design wall but it did knock out all 16 with relative speed and frankly had I seen one or two of these blocks done I may not have finished the rest you know if I started seeing early on that I wasn't going to like these I would have stopped myself normally in a normal quilt quilt that's a good thing because then you can stop yourself and fix it before it goes on but given the parameters I had I wasn't going to do that what did I learn about myself? Well, I did learn that apparently I'm not a fan of doing a huge quilt with a lot of bitty pieces. <laughs> you know, I tried to be meditative about it. I watched a lot of Netflix. But the reality is I just got really, really stir crazy. I'd actually start getting physically anxious and stressed out about doing 198 or something at the same time. It was just that was what was really making me gnash my teeth. Um, there were times I just, I would start getting so frustrated and cranky, not because things were going wrong, but just because I was doing the same thing for too long. I'd have to just walk away and do something else or put it away for a few hours and come back. Um, so that was kind of the main thing is like, yeah, I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of bed quilts anytime soon. <laughs> They just drive me crazy. I've done bed quilts in the past. I don't remember having this kind of a reaction to it. Um, I think they just didn't have quite as many pieces going into them. I did... Uh, here's the thing. I like not knowing what the end result of a quilt is going to be, but I much prefer that it be the quilt that's in control and not someone else. Uh, most of my quilts, I don't really know what they're going to end up looking like, but I'm letting the quilt talk to me and tell me what it needs so I can do things along the way. I'm not just doing something that, you know, I'm, I was just churning out pieces by rote and that was driving me crazy, just driving me crazy. Um, so that was probably the thing that I, I found most frustrating about this. Um, 
I was inordinately thrilled to be able to do my guild paper piecing when I was getting frustrated with the easy street. And I realized, well, that's because this is something I'm choosing, something I'm designing as I go, and it's also something relatively quick gratification. I'm doing four blocks, but I can see what those four blocks look like immediately rather than doing 198 pieces and putting them in a Ziploc bag and walking away for a week. So that was that was part of it, I think, as well. I did, however, really really love the fact that I was doing Easy Street with other people. It was so much fun to see everybody else's pictures along the way and especially be able to compare everybody's colorways and how that was affecting the design. That was a lot of fun. Um, You know, I didn't learn about myself so much because I know doing stuff like that is is fun, but that was the only thing, the only thing, people, that kept me going. And thank you so much. (laughs) For those of you who were part of that, those of you who every time I posted a thing, oh, there's a gorgeous colors, even when I'm like gnashing my teeth, I hate this, I hate this. And people were saying, oh, I love your quilt. Well, even though they never convinced me to love my quilt, because I still have my opinions about it, it, it was just nice. <laughs> it was so nice. And it was mostly nice to hear other people gnashing their teeth at the same time <laughs> and know that I was not alone in my misery. Um, It was, that was just a real hoot. So thank you so much to everybody who was also doing Easy Street at the same time. And those of you who are planning on doing Easy Street, who either haven't gotten yours finished yet or haven't started it yet, plan on doing it later, let us know when you are doing it so we can cheer you on too. Um, I, I really, you know, again, thank you everybody because you're the ones that helped me make sure I got mine done. Um, would I ever do another mystery quilt? Let me be so very, very strongly committal and say, it depends. <laughs> I have to say, you know, probably not anytime soon. I had so many projects, I really thought I would have made more progress in by now. Um, before I found out Easy Street was just going to absolutely be all-consuming and take over my life, that I can't wait to get back at them. Um, but, <laughs> I, I, first of all, I have learned never say never. You never know, so to speak, when the situation might be such that you will decide to do something that you thought you would never do again. Um, And I also have to say, there was somebody from our guild who made a rather rash statement at our last meeting that she had been kind of thinking about creating a mystery quilt herself. And now, of course, we're all nagging her to do it. So if she does one, I'm definitely on board. One, just to support her, but two, I also love her quilt designs. Um, And I also suspect she would give a little more guidance in terms of how to choose your fabrics. Um, But anyway, enough said about that. If she does one, I would do it. And, you know, I might do another mystery quilt. I doubt I would do another Bonnie Hunter mystery quilt anytime soon, only because now I know that they really are stinking (laughs) all-consuming. And I just, you know, I like to be able to get more done in a couple of months than that. I don't mind taking time with a quilt. As you know, I'm big on the slow quilt movement, so that's not the issue. Um, It was, I don't know how to describe it. It was just that spending six hours on one unit in a week. I guess maybe, again, I want my quilts to talk to me. I don't mind taking time on a quilt if I'm developing a relationship. (laughs) I'm getting awfully close to talking about one night stands with quilts. I'm sorry, punchy. Um, (laughs) I don't mind spending time with a quilt when I'm in a relationship with that quilt, when I'm 
you know, in conversation with it when it's growing and changing before my eyes. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I am definitely getting punchy. I really, I can't spend that much time on a quilt when it's not, when it doesn't feel like mine. And I think that's what was getting to me. I do quilts from patterns. This is not about doing a quilt from a pattern. Versus, it, it was just, I think it was the nature of how the steps were set up or something. It's just not for me. That's not to say I won't ever do another mystery quilt. There is some joy in that. There is some fun in saying I'm going to put a bunch of units together when I don't know what they're going to turn out to be. It, it is like doing a jigsaw puzzle. Um, I, I don't know what it was. I think it was the time. I really think it was all about the amount of time this took. And that there were so many other things I wanted to be doing. I, I don't know. You know, maybe two years from now, I'll know more why this really worked my last nerve, but it really did. And again, I don't want to say that's anything about Bonnie Hunter, about her mystery quilt. They are great. Um, man, Orca Bay was gorgeous. Anybody who's done Orca Bay, I have just drooled over your finished quilts. I have just loved them. Would I ever do it? No. Um, <laughs> so that's... I guess that's all I'll say about this. This was my experience doing my mystery quilt, doing my Bonnie Hunter mystery quilt. Again, so many thanks to those of you who were doing it with me, who we were all doing it together, because you really kept my motor running. You kept me going um, at times when I was just ready to chuck it. And I am glad I have it done. It's never going to be something that I love. It's never going to be an heirloom thing. It's not like I kept waiting for it to become like the quilt I've talked about. And it was the subject of an episode early on in my podcasting life, the quilt in which I saved from almost certain destruction. That was another quilt that I really hated all the way through. And now I love it. It really does feel like it's one of the best quilts I've ever made, probably the best quilt I've ever made. This Bonnie Hunter one ain't even close. It is definitely one that I'm like, you know, that was an experience. I'm done moving on. Um, but I, that doesn't bother me. It's it's more of saying, okay, finally now I can get to do other stuff. And I'm having fun with that. I appreciate all the work that Bonnie goes into doing these. It cannot be easy to do that. So I want to say kudos to her. Kudos to um, the the process that she puts out, the fact that she's so clear in her steps, her designs are gorgeous. Don't send her the link to this episode. She doesn't need to know that I personally didn't enjoy doing this. It had nothing to do with her whatsoever. That was just me and myself and I. Um, listener comments. I don't have, well, actually, I do have a fair number, mostly because it's been 10 days, again, since I did my last one. Um, I want to say thank you to Sarah and Landscape Lady and Tori and Caroline J and Jan and Jennifer and Kati and Landscape Lady. Um, Jan again, be a quilter. Jackie again, Kati again, Chiktar, who I think might be new. Um, Lauren, Mayor, Nancy Rose, Paula H and Quilton Jenny. Thank you so much to all of you for, um, leaving comments over the last few weeks. I really appreciate it. Um, some of you also said very nice things about the podcast and about the creative bites. And I really enjoy, it's always nice to hear good stuff. So I appreciate that. Um, landscape lady asked, I had posted briefly about working with tap, which is transfer artist paper. And she said, I have no clue how to use it. Um, it's basically another way to transfer images to fabric, but it works better, or at least it's supposed to once you figure out how to use it, <laughs> which I haven't yet. Um, it works better than, you know, the fabric, like the printed treasures or whoever else puts together the fabric printing paper. I've used a lot of that. It works okay. It tends to be a little bit faded. 
um, but the tap gives you a much more intense true color and you can do different kinds of things with it um, I've only just started experimenting with it and the main <laughs> the main thing you have to learn is which side of the paper to print on that was my first mistake I pulled it off my printer I'm like well that's not very bright color and then I put my iron on the wrong side <laughs> and that didn't end well I had to clean my iron so anyway that was my first learning experience once I figured out which side I was supposed to print on, <laughs> it went a little bit better. In any case, I'm still experimenting, and eventually we'll talk about that, too. Um, oh, sorry, threads. I did want to talk a little bit about these. I ordered, and I put pictures on my blog, Minky Toy. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. M-E-I-N-K-E, toy.com, um, which I found out after I had ordered and put it all on my blog that Jay's friend was the one who started Minky Toy, and she has since sold it, so yay Jay's friend. It's all, um, it's fabric embellishments, and what I purchase specifically are um, threads or yarns or ribbons, whatever you want to call them, that are made from old saris, being um, a sari is the Indian from India, those beautiful, brilliant color silk um, kind of dresses that are more like shawl kind of things and so they they use those and turn those into ribbons and threads and I posted pictures of them on my blog and they are just mouth-wateringly gorgeous and I can't wait to play with them so hopefully more pictures of that coming up too um, so I am now that I'm done with Easy Street I have some projects I need to knock out quick like a bunny that have been on the back um, back burner for a while but then I'm planning on getting back into my slow quilt movement and um uh, okay now i'm completely losing words i went from cranky to punchy and now nonverbal. so i guess i need to bring this to a close experimental that's the word i was looking for i'm going back to my slow quilting and my experimental adventuresome quilting and hopefully we'll have a lot more interesting things to talk about than whining and gnashing my teeth i'm done i'm no no more whining or gnashing of teeth um basically if you've never done a mystery quilt, do one. I mean, it's great to find out some people love doing them. I might love doing it again at some other time or doing a different type of one or doing one um, maybe just when I'm retired. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I'm not saying I'm never doing one. I had some elements of this were very good experience. Um, you know, it's just uh, apparently at this stage in my quilting life, it's just not for me as much so much um you know how you can get a hold of me you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com sandyquilts is that <laughs> okay sandy with a y quilts with a z you can follow my blog follow me on twitter pinterest goodreads you can like the quilting for the rest of us group on facebook you can join the Flickr group you can join the big tent quiltcast supergroup and then join the quilting for the rest of us subgroup and you will find me on thread bias craftsy and all those other good places you can also join the quilting for the rest of us kiva team and do good and you will find links for all of that and a whole lot more at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com and of course you know the show is now on Stitcher you can listen to Quilting for the Rest of Us on any of your portable electronics or other devices with Stitcher and that's it for this episode so until the next time go get your quilty on Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley love you mom 